Well, if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Acts chapter 4 this morning. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. If you got it, once you flip in there, once you get it, once you stand on your feet. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. <clears throat> Have you guys enjoyed this series as we walk through the ch- Acts and just, just looking at the early church? Acts chapter, thanks, Kim Kia. Come on, we got to wake everybody up. <laughs> Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. Promise, if y'all don't talk to me, I'm going to stay up here longer. Okay. All right? Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. If you got it, say got it. Got it. All right, there we go. Starting in verse 23, text reads, When they were released, they went to their friends. Remember that, they went to their friends. And reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Remember boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they had were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The very words of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on the topic. Prayer is not all about you. Can y'all turn to your neighbor if you can and say, tell them that, tell them that prayer is not all about you. Prayer is not all about you. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for this morning. God, I ask that you be lifted up in this place and that you would hide me behind your cross. Father, move and do and be in my body for your will and your glory. God, let the words of my mouth be glorifying to you and let your folks hear a word from you god we thank you for who you are we pray all this in the mighty and matchless name of jesus and everyone said together amen amen Amen. you can be seated well lately at the pucket crib and for y'all that don't know what crib means that means house uh, we've been teaching our kids A lot of different things, but one of the things we've been teaching them is how to, uh, in particular, how to come and ask for things when they're talking to adults, more specifically when they're talking to mommy and daddy. Because if you have kids, I don't know if they're in this stage or if they've done this before, they have this tendency to walk up and they say, daddy, it's kind of like, I want some cereal. And I'm like, and I respond like this, I'm like, that's very, I'm, I'm glad that you want some cereal. It's a great thing. Maybe I should get a bowl of cereal, too. And and they're looking at me like, Negro, did you not just hear what I said? I want some cereal. Basically, like, like, 
I'm supposed to do what they said just because they wanted it, right? And, 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 and it's hilarious, y'all, because I just continue to act as if I didn't hear them, and I just keep on doing what I'm, what I'm doing because, you know why? Because they didn't come to me correctly. They didn't come to me correctly. You know, so, so some of them, my, my older two, they've kind of picked up on it now. My little Izzy, though, bless her heart, she's about four, and, and, and she still comes up to me, Daddy, I want some cereal. And I'm like, that's nice, Izzy. I want some cereal, too. But what, next time, why don't you try asking me correctly? And she gets it. She corrects her stature, everything, posture, everything. She's like, Daddy, may I please have some cereal? And I say, sure, honey. Let me get it for you. And you're probably asking, like, why are you talking about this right now? What does this have to do with prayer? And see, here's the point. Some of, some of the reason we don't have the things we pray for, the things that we ask for, some of the reason we don't see things answered in our prayers or the way we want them to be answered is, hear me, many times we don't come to our Heavenly Daddy correctly. We come to Him like He's supposed to do something for us, like He's indebted to us. And sometimes with my sanctified imagination, I sit back and I, I can imagine God laughing just like me, like, <laughs> You got to be kidding me coming at me like that. Do you know who I am? I'm the God who hung the stars in the sky. I put the planets in place, the galaxies. I know all the stars by name. I'm the one who took you out of the dirt, out of the dust of the earth, and I formed you into my image. I'm the one who steps out of heaven, put a human suit on, came down here, sympathized with your sufferings, and then died the death that you were supposed to die. You got to be kidding me coming to me like that. I could see God sometimes sitting back thinking that. And see, the point, friends, is that many Christians, some of us sitting in a room this size, we're sitting there, and we really don't know how to pray. We don't know how to come to him. Hear me, if you miss everything I say this morning, don't miss this. Prayer is not just for your own good, but more so about God's will being done in and through you. Let me say that again. Prayer is not just for your own good but more so, importantly, about God's will being done in and through you. Now, to begin in this text this morning, i got to give you a little context for this passage in chapter 3. Uh, Peter and John, they just healed a man that could not walk. This man was lame. He's from birth. He couldn't walk, and now he's sitting at the beautiful gate, and he's asking for alms in chapter 3, which is an offering that people would give to the poor. So this wasn't wrong. This was a normal thing. People would sit at this gate, and they would ask for alms. They would ask for money. They would ask for silver and gold, and, and people would give it to them. But so, so let me clear this up to you, because I, I think you still may be saying, well, what in the, what's an alm, though? What, what is that? Now, if you remember a while back, if you've been at Renewal for a little bit, I I, kind of explained the fact that Christians are instructed throughout the Bible to give in three different types of ways. They're not the same either. They don't trickle over into each other. They're three different types of ways. So you got tithes and offerings, which I know you're like, don't don't jump on me yet. I know the New Testament doesn't say tithe and offering, but it says give cheerfully. And as Pastor Luke says, it's a hilarious giver. It's almost like you give so much that it hurts. And you ever laugh because it hurts so bad? That, that's, that's what it means, it, like giving over and above. So it may not say tie the tenth, but I think it, it really intensifies the tenth. It's over and above that tenth. A tenth is a good starting point. So it says give your tithe. So the tithe is what you give to the church. Secondly is your offering. Now, offering is what you give to missionary organizations. It's what you give to nonprofits. It's maybe when you go visit a church that's not your own, you give an offering there. That does not take away from your tithe or what you're giving to the storehouse, to your church. 
Lastly, you got alms. These are alms that are given to the poor. So this is what Christians give to the poor. We're instructed to give to the poor. In fact, in the Old Testament, you see people setting aside. We talked about this in the book of Ruth, where they set aside parts of their field just for the poor to come out and collect after they were done reaping. So you see this throughout the Bible, three different types of giving. You got tithes, you got offerings, and you have alms. And hear me, they're not the same thing. So don't give to the poor and say you gave your tithe. Don't give to the missionary organization and say you gave to your church. It's not the same thing. Not the same thing. All right, let me say it again. It's not the same thing. And here's why I say this, because here's the problem. Because when we do all this and we give to all these different things and we don't actually give to the church, when the church is actually the one that's supposed to take care of all these things, given to the missionaries, given overseas, given to the poor, taking care of all, when we don't do that and we spread out our ties thinking that we know better and we can give here, we can give there, then what happens is that the church now can't even support itself. Church can't support itself, and then we Christians, we walk around saying, man, they need to do more for the community. The church needs to do this. The church needs to do that. And the church can't do anything because people aren't giving. You, you get where I'm going with this? And family, as Christians, as we see here in the book of Acts today in chapter 4 and in chapter 2, you see it at the end. We're going to talk about this more next week. We're going to get into this, being a generous giver. What does that mean? It's like I said, is that if we don't do it, the church can't go forward. But when they do it here in this book, when you see them do it, it says that nobody had needs that weren't met. Everybody's needs were met. They trusted their leaders and they gave and everybody's needs were met. And I'm going to move on, but I want to say this. Let us be known as a generous church. Not because I'm telling you to give, but because when you look at Jesus, he, he showed us an immense amount of generosity by dying for us, the death that we should have died. That's why we give. Now, again, in this text, this man is asking, he's asking for alms in chapter 3. But Peter and John, they have no alms. They don't have anything to give them. Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He says, rise and walk. And watch this. My man gets up, and he starts walking. He starts running around telling everybody. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, this dude has been lame, begging for money his whole life. They said in chapter 4, it's at least, he's at least 40 years old. And now this random dude named Peter comes up and says, I ain't got no arms, but I, I, what I do have, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And it works. And he gets up and he runs around and he's telling everybody about this family. And I know some of y'all like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have did that. I just would have been like, yeah, Jesus made me walk. No, this is a miracle. I mean, he's been sitting there his whole life and now he gets to walk. And you know what happens as he's running around telling them that Jesus did this? People come to Peter and John and they're like, what's going on? I got to know about this Jesus. I got to know about what's happening. But you know why? Because they've seen this dude sitting there for 40 years. And now he's walking. It's a miracle. They're amazed and they want to know about Jesus. Some of them start following Jesus. And this leads to what's happening in chapter 4 because, again, Peter and John, they just healed this man. And now they're arrested. They're arrested and, and they're brought before the council for preaching Jesus' name. Reason being is because the council, just like the Pharisees that killed Jesus, they see this happening and they're getting jealous. 
We can't have all these people turning to these men because of Jesus and what Jesus is doing. So in order to make them stop, they say, you got to stop preaching in Jesus's name. Peter and John like, please, answer to you. We're not going to stop preaching Jesus's name. We're not. And this is where this prayer boldness comes in. Remember I told you, remember that word. Because family, here's the thing. To live this way and proclaim Jesus' name day after day, over and over again, in front of opposition, hear me, it has to be hard. That's hard. I mean, think about it. It, it, It's not easy for us to trust God with our finances. I mean, it's hard for us to trust him with our job. It's hard to trust him when we have a bad day. But here they are preaching his name day in and day out, risking death, risking their lives and being put in prison. And the question becomes, are we that bold? Are we that bold? Now, hear me, we, we don't face this type of opposition, at least to the point where we can be physically harmed because of our belief at points. But, but see, sometimes I think what we face in our society can be just as hard if not harder. Because this is the beginning of the church. Don't forget that this is the beginning of the church. So Christianity is banging right now. It's just beginning. So people are amazed and they're flocking towards Jesus. They're flocking towards Christ. But now and today, we're living in a society where this world is becoming more and more post-Christian. As we speak, things that were once considered or deemed immoral are now moral or accepted. Y'all don't believe me though, do you? Regular TV. Take regular TV. Regular TV now, 20 years ago, would have been considered porn. I mean, back in the day, Elvis couldn't even get on stage and shake his hips. They they would just film him from the stomach up because he thought he was promiscuous because he's shaking his hips, y'all. He got all his clothes on. They, they wouldn't even film that. Now you watch TV, it doesn't even leave space for your imagination. Y'all get that on your way home. Actually, I don't want you to get that on your way home, okay? I was watching TV the other day, just regular TV. Not HBO, regular TV. It was Empire. Y'all, y'all watch Empire? Don't act like you've never seen Empire before. Empire. Y'all know Cookie Lion? She's crazy, right? I'm watching the show... And, um, and, and she, she's mad at this lady, and she calls it a B word, the, the word that rhymes with ditch. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That's on TV. In the 90s, that would never happen. Never. And family, that's just one thing. There's many examples, but the point I'm trying to make is that America that once was considered this Christian nation, or at least a little bit more realistic than what we thought about, I mean, it, it, it is now becoming more and more post-Christian and, and over this whole Christian thing. People aren't turning to Christ, and, and now we live in a society where everything goes, and people live their lives according to what they feel, their feelings. We become tolerant of everything. So, so it's no longer what mama taught you growing up. No, nobody goes to VBS anymore, so it's no longer what the Bible says. Our li- lives now are governed by how we feel. Which, hear me, family, is very tough. 
Because all of us, whether you're a believer or non-believer, we're formed in the image of God, which means that every, anything we can do for ourselves or what this world can offer us will never satisfy us. And what happens, it leaves us in this place where we're unsatisfied and always looking for more. Over and over again, the next accolade, the next achievement, the next person or, or girlfriend or boyfriend, the next school, achieve, all these different things. We're looking for the next thing over and over again because we're not satisfied. And hear me, if everything in our lives is governed by how we feel, then because our feelings, hear me, Stephen, it, because our feelings... They, they, they never are stable. They go up and down all around. That means that our lives will go up and down all around, just like a roller coaster. Y'all ever been on a roller coaster ride? It's up and down all around in circles. Some of y'all on a roller coaster right now because you're continually living by your feelings. That's the roller coaster ride. See, family, my point is that in some ways, a post-Christian world is tougher because people, again, are not turning to Christianity or Jesus, but they're turning away saying, I've tried that. I've tried that, that Jesus already. I need to try something else. Which leaves one on this internal struggle, this internal battle, this lifelong struggle, searching for meaning and existence. Identity. And now our lives become more about us than others, so we don't give we don't give to other people. We don't give to the church. We, we hold on to what we have. We, we don't have authentic community, although we long for relationships. Our marriages don't last because it's not about serving or loving the other person selflessly because it's all about you now. And we, we don't have jobs that last more than a few months because we can't submit to authority because it's, it's not what we want. It's not in our best interest. I mean, I could keep going, but you see where I'm going with all of this. It's tough to live sometimes in this post-Christian world because it's all centered around me, 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 which is the opposite of the gospel, which says love God first and then your neighbor. I mean, th this is why we're looking at the early church, to bring us back to what the early church did and their example, because what you notice with them is that they are not consumed with themselves, but first, exactly what I said, Jesus first and then others. They're enamored with someone who's much greater than themselves which lends to them living their lives to and for his glory. They're not worried about what happens to them or trying to hold on to everything they have. Family, hear me. Being a Christian is not always about your own personal joy or happiness. Being a Christian is not just about your own personal happiness or your joy. Here's the thing. You may experience a bit of that here on this earth. You may. But the Christian's true joy is in what awaits them after this earth in heaven when they're with their Savior forever and ever and ever. That dictates how the Christian lives. Y'all didn't amen. So let me, let me read these words right here. Paul in Philippians. I love this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Philippians chapter 3. Listen to these words as Paul, he's writing to them. He says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love his words. Look at this resume. Circum circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a, 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 a Hebrew of Hebrews as, as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal. He's saying, I'm the highest of the highest. I've achieved all of this. A persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had loved these words, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, mess, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Listen to those words. Here's Paul, who in this passage, you see his resume. This man had, had riches. He, he's a top class. I mean, he has everything you could do and want in life. I mean, he, and he can easily live for himself, and he could do it very lavishly if he chose to. But he, he, his life has been transformed by Christ. And hear me, hear me clearly. When you have been touched by Jesus, you live a life radically different. You don't live the same. Some of y'all didn't hear me on that one, no? Paul says, I count everything I had as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And then he says, lastly, so that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Basically, he's saying, look, look, I'm not looking forward to my next paycheck. I, I got enough money. I'm not looking forward to the next accolade. You see my resume? I've done everything. I don't need that. I, I, I'm not even looking forward to having things my way. I'm not like Usher. Usher wasn't even alive back then. He says, the only thing I'm looking forward to is being in heaven with my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's looking forward to. That's why he lives his life. You see what I'm trying to get at? The true Christian doesn't live for today and today only. There's no FOMO syndrome with the Christian. Y'all know what that is? I just figured that out the other day, FOMO. It's the new acronym. It means like uh, fear of missing out. There's no FOMO syndrome with the Christian. Because they, know, they don't care what they miss out here on because they know what they're going to get when they get to heaven. There's no YOLO either. You only live once. No, 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 no. Because they know they're going to be. There's something after this life with Christ. So they're living life with an eternal perspective in mind, knowing where they're going. Hear me. Hear me. By knowing where one is going changes the way you live today. Knowing where one is going changes the way you live today. Now, family, I know that's a lot. But if we don't understand the Christian's mentality, then understanding this prayer right here in Acts chapter 4, it's a lost cause. And understanding how to pray, it's a lost, lost cause. See, we won't know how to do that in general. It's lost. Because hear me, prayer is not just about your personal needs, but more so about the will of God being done. See, that's the problem, though, because many times we got it all mixed up. That's not why we pray. We just pray for our own good. When that's not the purpose of prayer. And I'll argue the reason we only pray for selfish gain or personal needs is one, because we really don't know Jesus. 
And two, if we do know Jesus, then our Christianity has been shaped and formed and so much by this post-Christian world or society that we only know how to come to Jesus when we need something. Or on the other side, when we're in trouble. And hear me, that's not bad. You should do that. But that's not the main reason for prayer. It's not always about us. So let's take a look at this, this text for several moments. And, and I want you to pay close attention to this passage in the prayer. I love how it starts because right after Peter and John experienced the persecution from the council, where do they go? They go straight back, it says, to their friends. They go to the believers. Don't miss this. They don't run and turn inward or hide. They go to the church. And they tell them exactly what happened. I wish I had time to preach this, but I don't. But hear me. There is power in community. They they go to the church after being persecuted. True Christians bear all and live for one another and not just for self. Peter and John, they run to the church. Then the text says, when the church heard what Peter and John went through, they lifted their voice to God and they began to pray. Now, pay attention to these words. They're they're giving praise and honor to God first. In other words, they're adoring him first. They appeal to his sovereignty, saying, Sovereign God who created everything. Family, hear me. It's always good when praying to start with adoration. You You see this with prayers all throughout the Bible. It starts with adoration. And on a personal level, it's good for me to start with adoration because I always, when I'm adoring God, now I'm remembering who I'm talking to. Knowing my mess, it's good to be reminded that a sovereign God would even speak with me or listen to me. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You're never too messed up to turn to God. You're never too messed up to call out to him. He's listening. He hears you. And with that side note, good model for prayer. This is what I want you to write down. It's the Acts model. I've talked about this before. A good model for prayer is this. It starts with adoration, confession. It's an acronym, Acts. Then you have thanksgiving and then supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. With this, you start with adoration, adoring God for who he is. Then there's confession that follows that. Now you're seeing how holy and mighty God is. You start confessing your transgressions. You you confess your sin. Where you get and and then last, then second, you go to uh, third, you go to Thanksgiving, where you give thanks for God for forgiving you. You give thanks for all that He's done in your life, and then you end with supplication, asking for what you need. It doesn't start with what you need. You end with supplication. See, this model helps you not to treat God like some genie in the bottle. He's just there for all that you need. No, 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 that's not it. He's not just there to serve you. Now, this model really helps you focus on who you're talking to, and it helps you learn how to pray correctly, but this isn't something that you need to be legalistic over where every time you pray, you have to do it this way. You got to try to pray this long, drawn-out prayer because the Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing, which means to pray almost as if you're breathing. Always praying on the, on the tip of your mouth. You're praying because you, you need God. Some of y'all missed it, so think about it this way. We live in Chicago, right? Honk, honk America when you drive your car. 
Everybody's honking their horns in Chicago. I think it might have been invented here or something. We, we honk our horns and, 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 and when we're driving our cars. And, and sometimes, y'all bless, God bless me and y'all too, because I know y'all, y'all hear this. You might have feel, felt it on the way to uh, a church this morning. But when you drive in your car, sometimes you just got to start praying and just asking God, like, God, please help me so I don't get out this car and smack somebody. <laughs> don't act like you ain't been there. We got road rage here in Chicago. It happens every day. Maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're too sanctified. I, I shared this before. My wife, she's made a practice of driving in the car, and when she hears ambulance sirens going by, she just stops, and she says a quick prayer. Father, I, I'm not sure what's going on, but I ask that you be with whoever's in the ambulance. You be wherever they're going. Be all over this incident and heal whoever the person or people involved are there. She just stops and, makes a, and, and make, takes this moment and, and, and calls out to God. And what I'm trying to say, family, is that prayer, it doesn't necessarily need to be this long, drawn-out thing. Y'all all all been around people who pray. They pray the nice words and the scriptures and all this stuff. You're like, will you just say amen? I mean, so it doesn't always have to be that long, drawn-out prayer type of, of thing. That's not it. But here's the thing. Whether it's short or long, always know who you're talking to. Know God. Know, know who he is. They created the heavens and earth. That's what they're saying here. We, they start here, family, with adoration. But as you begin to read this prayer, it's not what you would expect because notice they don't pray for safety. They could because they've already seen these people kill Jesus. They, they saw him kill Jesus, hung him on the cross. They could pray for safety. They even say in verses 26 and 28 that it was known that people would come against Jesus for it was in God's will that the people would come against him and kill him. But now that Christ is dead, the people aren't coming against him anymore. They're they're coming after the people that are following him. So they could easily say, God, uh, we need safety, which is probably what we would have done. We would have like, man, oh God, I'm scared. I need some help. They're trying to kill me. I need you praying for safety, but that's not what they're doing. Instead, look at verse 29. They pray for boldness. They pray for boldness because they know that although they are experiencing this persecution, this isn't about them. Again, prayer is more about the will of God being done in and through your life. They're not worried about what happens to them on this side of heaven because they know where they're going. But at the same time, there's a hurting, dying world out there that needs to know Jesus. So instead of praying, asking for more in their life, asking for abundance, God, rain showers of blessings on me, all this stuff, and and trying to hold on to everything, their money, time, and treasure, all of that, they don't do that. They're risking it all and say, all of this for the sake of Jesus. They pray for boldness to continue to preach the word of Christ. Don't miss it. Family, you got to understand the magnitude of this prayer. Because they're, they're basically saying, give us boldness, even if it means death. See, it's easy to just read over this prayer and say, man, they have some faith. But it's much deeper than that. They understood and they knew that by continually carrying on in Jesus' name, it meant death for many of them. And I'm not sure if you're hearing me with that. Death. Family Christians, back then, they were beheaded for preaching Jesus' name. 
They're burned alive, thrown off of cliffs. Peter was crucified upside down. Family, continuing on to preach in Jesus' name was pretty much a death wish. So, so don't get this prayer twisted as if they're praying out of insufficient faith. Like, we don't know what we're going to do, and we, need, and we don't know how we're going to keep going. Give us boldness. That's not what's happening. They're praying knowing the cost, and they're trusting that God will show up. How many of y'all know that when you pray, God listens to you, he hears you, and he always answers? It may not be in your timing or when you want it, but he answers. How many of you know that you have a God, you serve a God who's for you and not against you? Amen? They have crazy faith. And they pray in the midst of persecution, expecting God to show up and move. They don't pray for safety. They pray for God to continue to work miracles and call more people to himself. And family immediately, when they're done praying, the place begins to shake as if it was an earthquake that hit them. And the text says that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, which gives them the boldness to continue on and proclaim Jesus' name. And what does the text say after that? At the end, they continue to go and speak the word of God with boldness. Family, hear me as we end today. I begin with this saying, and I want to end with the same thing. I want you to remember that prayer is not always about you. It's not always about your own good, but more so about the will of God being done in and through your life. So I am working in and through you for his good, for his glory. And friends, this is what I want renewal to be known for. Not, that, not just that we have great preaching or great worship experience or good fellowship, but as Acts 2.42 says, all of that, but as the old church was known for, let us be known as a church devoted to prayer. Because it's through those prayers that we see God work in and through us for his glory. Amen? Now, as the end, I told you last week, if you were here and if you weren't, we started with this Imagine Renewal campaign. I wanted you to begin praying for one or two people in your lives that you, wanted, you want to know, to know, come Jesus, to know Jesus. And, and maybe you're saying, well, that's me. I need to know Jesus. One or two people in your life, and maybe that's you. I, I, I have guys in place, girls in place right now. We're going to, I'm going to pass out sheets of paper. I'm not going to do it, but these, they're going to pass out these sheets of paper, little sheets of paper and, and pens. And I want everybody in here, everybody, to take a moment and write one or two names on that piece of paper that you're praying for, that you're going to intentionally pray for. And during communion, I want you to drop those sheets of paper in the baskets that are on the table. If you need a pen, they have pens too. You can put the pens back or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. And what we want to do with that as a staff is that we're going to take these names and we're going to pray with you intentionally, specifically for these people to come to know Jesus. You'll need to write their last names. You'll need to write your name on there if you want it to be anonymous. We just want their first name. And we want to pray specifically for them with you. And what I want you to do over the next couple of weeks is just be intentional about reaching out to them. I want you to be intentional about spending time with them if they're in Chicago. Ask them to come to church with you. Maybe the worship night is a good place. Family, hear me. Let us be a church that prays intentionally for God's will to be done 
for folks to come to know him. And let us be a church that continues to proclaim Jesus with all boldness and wait expecting for him to move. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. You're an awesome God that hears our prayers, that is with us. You never leave nor forsake us. You care for us even when you don't have to. You listen and hear our prayers when we're not worthy, God. And to that, Lord, we just say thank you. God, as we're writing on these sheets of paper, we submit and we give you these names. We ask, God, that you'll work in our midst. Let us be your vessels. And even if that's us struggling, God, right now, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to work in our hearts. We're in the right place right now, hearing your word. God, I pray that we'll fall in love and be enamored with you, Jesus. Not our lives or the things that we have. Just like the early church counted it all as loss, as Paul says, for the sake of knowing you, Jesus. That's all we need. Father, as we come to the table this morning, let us not forget or ever forget your sacrifice. But let us remember this morning all that you did on that cross when you died for us, taking our sins to the grave once and for all. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen.